Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots. It's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Prey on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a kid that's found his dad's gun. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc is now in the possession of the Army. Too many others know what's happening out there, and no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man. That state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. It's about time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects vast and cool and unsympathetic regarded our planet with envious eyes. Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes. 
broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert Monday through Thursday, 10 p.m. to midnight Pacific, and on Fridays starting at 10.30 p.m. Pacific on Ground Zero Radio. I'm your host, Ryan Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, rdgable, rdgable at yahoo.com, or tstradio at protonmail.com. Those are our two emails. You can also find The Secret Teachings on social media like Twitter and Facebook, and listen to the free archive after the initial show, Monday through Friday, whether that's on Apple Podcasts or it's in the free archive at www.thesecretteachings.info where you can also subscribe to the ad-free version of the show. You'll get access to the montages, my digital books, and more. Again, www.thesecretteachings.info If you missed last night's show, Monday, January 23rd, 2023, I had a lot of fun. I thought it was a lot of fun. And if you missed the show, I think you missed out on a lot of fun. You can go listen to the show we did last night. It's in the archive right now. The show was called This is Florida Man. As you know, I'm a Florida man. As you know, The Secret Teachings comes from Florida originally. And we wanted to do a little fun show last night, a roundtable discussion about some of the best Florida man stories. And also, I realized right before the show that it was sort of um, almost like a memorial in a way for our good friend who passed away relatively recently, Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show. So I went into our archives. I pulled out that show we did with Kev Baker. I think it was the last show we did. And it was a best of I put into the archives. I think it was the date January 9th of 2020. And that is in the archive for free to download and listen to with the great Kev Baker, who is no longer with us. We also did a Florida Man show because he always thought Florida Man was so funny over there in Scotland. So you can listen to both of those shows, the best of and last night's show, www.thesecretteachings.info. Tonight, a much different show as you might have been able to tell from the promotional image that is on social media. Tonight, I wanted to start off by reading a Bible verse. And every time I read a Bible verse, I just know that people think that this is some kind of right-wing Christian religious program, and I don't understand that. You know, I talked to Clyde about that too. I've, I've actually been in studio with Clyde where people will call in and He's either not talking about the Bible enough or he's talking about the Bible too much or something to that effect, you know. And I get the same thing here. I've gotten that same kind of attitude on the secret teachings forever. Somebody, they might even be listening to this show, so it's no hard feelings, but somebody on Facebook recently called me not only a Christian, they called me a super Christian. Not even sure what that means either. But if you took a look at my bookshelf, you'll notice that I have quite a few religious texts, and they are certainly not all Bibles. However, Genesis 11, 1 through 9, let's start off with this story. Some of you may know this by heart. Some of you may not know this by heart. It is the story of the Tower of Babel. Tonight's show is called The Leaning Tower of Babel, and I will explain what that means as the show continues. The Tower of Babel story starts with this. It says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. 
They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down. Notice the pluralness of this statement that the Lord is making. Let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now the condensed version of this story, rather than reading the specific details of what the Lord said or what the people said, is basically man wanted to build a tower, a symbolic tower perhaps, a literal tower perhaps, to reach the heavens. That's sometimes the given interpretation. The other interpretation is man wasn't trying to reach the heavens or usurp the power of God. Man was doing powerful things, working together, and that threatened whoever these God, with an S, gods were. Come, let us go down and confuse the language. So this is where we get the idea of Babel, like baby talk, babbling, where we're unable to understand each other because now we all speak different languages. But the thing is, it says the Lord confused the language of the whole world. Now, people interpret that to mean that God came down or the Lord came down and said, now everybody is going to speak. You're going to speak Korean. uh, You're going to speak Swahili. You're going to speak, I don't know, Egyptian. You know, you're going to speak Mandarin. You're going to speak whatever, French, German. I, I don't interpret the story that way myself. I, I think that there's a much deeper meaning to the story. And I also think that this isn't just a Christian story. I mean, obviously it comes from the Old Testament. You're going to get that Judeo-Christian, that Jewish-Christian feel to it. But it's not just Judeo-Christian. In Islam, the Quran has a similar story, a story that in the Islamic tale takes place in Egypt, and it's the Pharaoh who orders a minister named Harman, or ha, I think it's Haman, Haman, Harman, ha, Haman, I think is how you pronounce it, to build a tower that reaches the heavens. So in the Islamic story, it's a tower that the intention is, based on the Pharaoh's order to Haman, to build this tower that reaches into heaven. In the Greek story, the tower's construction uh, is it's described in a text called the Greek Apocalypse of Baruch, and it basically describes a similar situ- a situation. Uh, there is uh, a tower that is being built, and it's called the Tower of Strife Against God, which a lot of people just interpret, if you've read the story, they just interpret that as being the, the Tower of Babel story just told in another, another fashion. Then there's the Sumerian story about a ziggurat, which is a pyramid, called Eta Menenki, known as the House of Foundation of Heaven and Earth. 
Etemeninki was described as being basically a pyramid, and it's the house of foundation. So the foundation of the pyramid is in the physical world. The point of the apex reaches into heaven. Then, of course, you have God reaches down. There's a pyramid in heaven. When you merge the two, you get the seal of Solomon. You get the fire and water coming together. It's very alchemical. This pyramid, the ziggurat, was dedicated to Marduk, the patron deity of Babylon. There's even a description, a physical description of it. It was 300 feet tall, and it featured seven levels. And there actually are physical remains of this of this pyramid, Adabanenki, which is in modern-day Iraq. Some people still interpret that as the Tower of Babel. It's probably all a very similar story, kind of like Atlantis, where you get Atlantis-like stories all over. But the point is, Genesis 11, the Greeks, Sumerians, etc., they tell stories of man's attempt to reach heaven, or at least to do something together in unison without the assistance of the Lord, by means of constructing either a very real or an artificial structure, something that's more metaphorical, but some kind of tower to reach this apex. And although the story is interpreted as very Christian, Muslims and Jews specifically, Jews have their own version of the story. Muslims have their own version of the story. Sumerians have their own version of the story. Greeks have their own version of the story. Even the Mormons have their own version of the story. According to the book of Ether, or Ether, I'm not a Mormon, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, the book of Ether, E-T-H-E-R, in the book of Mormon, God changed the language of the people to thwart their plans of getting to heaven. Except a few people, a man named Jared and his brother both prayed to God that he would not change their language because they still wanted to talk to their families. Now, the potentiality of man is in question here. The potentiality of what man can do when man works together. And by man, we mean mankind. We mean all people. This doesn't matter what your color is, what your religion is, what M&Ms you like. doesn't matter what you identify as. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Man is mankind. It's everybody. That's the etymology. That's how it's always been. I'm not going to let politics change the definition of words, which is kind of the point of tonight's show. The potentiality of man is what's in question here. The potentiality of man with one common understanding is a great threat to centralized power brokers. And thus, on the very earthly plane, man is attempting today to cultivate a new kind of babble in his fellow man by the control of language. As George Orwell wrote, it's a beautiful thing, the destruction of words. Such an obliteration of language comes in many forms, too. It's not just the confusion of people's language and their abilities to communicate. There are many ways that you can suppress language, many ways that you can confuse people, many ways you can prevent people from communicating. Suppressing speech by making certain words, certain phrases, certain ideas extremely taboo. Suppressing speech by forcing others to use specific words that the state deems important, and doing both of these things, the latter and former, through legislation, something that you've probably seen happening in Canada, trying to legislate the usage of certain words. 
Other ways that you can suppress language or change or alter language is by changing the definitions of words, banning words, adding useless words, making certain forms of behavior favorable over communication, restricting access to other languages, for example, by calling the use of other languages culturally insensitive, when if you're learning another language, it should be the opposite. It should be culturally sensitive. But these are all methods which result in the unification and, I say the unification of man and the potentiality of man being made dull and confused. Now, if you break down the way in which language has been broken down, let's say, we'll just pick a time period over the last 10 years, everything that I've just explained to you, expressed to you, has been done in some way, in some shape, or some form. We have suppressed speech or allowed speech to be suppressed because we've allowed certain words and certain phrases and certain ideas to be made taboo. Certain names even. I mean, say the name Donald Trump and see if people don't convulse. Certain words are considered highly, highly offensive. Phrases considered offensive. Ideas considered taboo. I mean, look at how religion is more and more being treated as if it's some taboo thing, some evil thing. But this is the story that you get in every religion, that religions are suppressed, and that's the history of religion. Religions are going to be suppressed and made taboo. There's always going to be resistance to them. But it's the idea that you can control the way that people communicate by making certain words, names, phrases, and ideas, etc., taboo. Or in some cases banning certain words outright. I remember one of the first stories I ever read about this as an adult was in New York City. In the public education system, they've banned words like witchcraft, dinosaur, war, etc. So if you can, and there's strange, weird words, like why would they ban the word dinosaur on, on, on tests in the city? Or why would they ban the word witchcraft? But when you start to look at the words... In between, you basically find words that when you ban those words, it makes it a lot more difficult to talk about. And this was, I think it was like blood, oil, war, and things like that. So like if you ban those words, it makes it a lot more difficult for people to express how they feel. Oh, I don't know about endless wars of aggression and occupation or what the rhetoric was during the Bush administration. And that is no, no blood for oil. If you ban those words, it makes it a lot harder to develop rhetoric, a lot harder to communicate about what you think or how you feel. But there's another way to suppress language. It's not just by suppressing certain words, names, phrases, and ideas. There's other ways to suppress speech that you wouldn't think are oppressive. You'd think that they're they're the opposite of that. They're actually opening language up because now you... You're telling people you want them to use certain words. But that's another form of suppressing speech because you're forcing people to use specific words that the state deems important. For example, certain pronouns and the idea of, quote, misgendering somebody or microaggressing against somebody. Legislating that certain words must be used or it's a crime Legislating that certain words must be used or you are assaulting somebody is no different 
than simply banning certain words or banning certain phrases or ideas, even if it's just in the public square, if you will. Like there doesn't necessarily have to be legislation that says you can no longer say this word, but to make it taboo in society so people do the prosecution for you. You don't like a certain word or a certain phrase, a certain idea. You don't like that somebody said someone's name who you don't like, so you freak out. This is all just a series of ways that you can suppress language. Now, if you change definitions, I mean, that's probably one of the most well-recognized ways to suppress language or to confuse the language, to create babble among the general public, changing definitions. For example, I've said it many times on the show, so it might be stale to some of you, but changing the definition of a vaccine or a virus or a pandemic changing the definition, or simply denying that the word even exists in the case of inflation, as I've played you those clips before, these are all ways that language can be suppressed. Or banning words entirely, not just suppressing them, but banning words entirely, like, you know, or banning ideas, like certain people can't be racist, only certain groups of people can, and then other groups of people can't be racist. Adding useless words to the dictionary. You know, in 1984, the book that Eric Blair wrote, George Orwell, the dictionary gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. It's a beautiful thing, the destruction of words. Of course, the great wastage is in the verbs and adjectives, but there are hundreds of nouns that can be gotten rid of as well. It isn't only the synonyms. There are also the antonyms. It's 1984, George Orwell. That dictionary got smaller and smaller and smaller, makes it more difficult to communicate, makes language more confusing, makes communication harder, makes it more more confusing, more babble-like, and or mumble-like even. So that's the reduction of the dictionary. But we have something else happening today in our world. Our dictionaries aren't necessarily getting smaller. In a way, they're getting larger because we're adding useless words like goblin mode and things that we we see go viral on Twitter that are hashtags. I mean, like I stand with and goblin mode were two of the most used phrases slash they called them words, although they're more than one word. I stand with that's it's three, right? Or at least two words, but no, they say that's one full word. So turning phrases into words, turning that word into the word of the year, adding useless words like goblin mode, which is actually two words to, to the dictionary. We're actually creating a a larger dictionary by banning and removing certain words, but then replacing them and then adding additional information. Like they've added, what does Homer Simpson say? That's, that's That's in a lot of dictionaries now. It's a phrase from a cartoon character, but that makes it into the dictionary. And this is, you know, I'm not saying people communicate like Homer Simpson, but this is the idea. This is how the dictionary, this is how language can be changed. And furthermore, making certain forms of behavior favorable over communication. And what I mean by that is basically reducing people's ability to communicate, reducing someone's ability to express themselves through everything that we've discussed thus far, so that what you get are people that have no ability, no, no, um, no, uh, I, I guess you could say no, uh, definition of of what they're even saying. They just use those buzzwords or culturally 
significant slang terms to argue, to fight, or to debate. You know, things like bro. And I'm not talking about saying, hey, bro, what's going on? I'm talking about I've, I've seen these guys at the gym that just like I, I saw almost two fights at the, at the gym uh, the last time I was uh, well, the two last times I was there. So two people that were fighting like both times. These guys are like, bro, bro, bro. And they're like walking around in a circle like two birds in a mating dance. Bro, 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 bro. And then there's like, I'm going to kick your, you know, mixed in between. So that's. That's making certain basically animal level behaviors favorable over actual communication. And then furthermore, restricting access to other languages by calling the use of other language culturally insensitive if you don't naturally speak that language. This is a weird one. And this is what inspired tonight's show. I read an article here from here in Arizona from the Arizona Central. I believe they have a connection to the USA Today. They have a similar website, and I think they also had a USA Today logo uh, on this article. When I printed it out, that logo didn't print, but I think it's a USA Today affiliate. And this article says, is it time to stop saying aloha and other culturally sensitive words out of context? They're saying that when you use certain words like aloha, konnichiwa, etc., you're being culturally insensitive. Now, I could understand if, you know, the argument is something to the effect of if you just go up to every every Asian person and say konnichiwa, I mean that that could be considered culturally insensitive. You have a right to do it, but they also have a right to probably spit on you or beat you up or whatever. So you can do whatever you want to do, but certain things just are culturally kind of inappropriate and has nothing to do with sensitivities. It just it's it's more about respect. You, you don't just go up to random Asian people and say konnichiwa. So I guess they're saying it's the same thing with alo- aloha. You don't just go up to people and say aloha. But aloha is one of those words that's made it into into our lexicon, into our into our language where it's more more than just a Hawaiian word now, it's part of almost part of English. Now I've I've also told you before that I'm I'm studying Japanese. Now in Japanese, one of the the funny things I didn't really I didn't know or didn't think about because I never never studied Japanese is that there's a ton of Japanese words that are basically English words that are pronounced with a Japanese accent. And they're official words, like they're words that Japanese people use to communicate. They're basically English words, but they say them with a Japanese accent. Should I, as an English person, consider that offensive? Or should I maybe, if I'm interested in that language, learn that language so there can be a back and forth, Japanese, English, or whatever it is, the whatever language it is that you're learning? I want to talk more about this tonight because I think that this is a very important subject and I think that it is the cornerstone or the central pillar in why it is so difficult to express and have your expressions heard more and more, largely because of social media, largely because of the lack of context and the lack of, of knowledge, the lack of learning, not only how to communicate, but, but how to actually speak. This is a very, very scary kind of a thing and it all relates back to that tower of babel story or those 
There's several Tower of Babel stories that we get from Samaria. We get the Greek version, the Mormon version, etc., etc. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. There's a lot more after this. Don't go anywhere. It's 2023, the year of the rabbit, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Dot Radio. This is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesecretteachings. Hey there, it's Ryan Gable. You know you can always listen to The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday on Ground Zero Dot Radio. I don't need it. And for free in the monetized archives on our website or on any radio or podcast player. I don't need it. But you can also help support the show by subscribing to the ad-free archive with montages, digital books, and a private RSS feed. I definitely don't need it. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe today. I need support economically and energetically will keep us on air into the future. If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana? Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir. Or if that's not enough, check out Good Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info. That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. It not only supports The Secret Teachings, but most importantly, it supports you. Broadcasting from somewhere between heaven, hell, and purgatory. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Release the Kraken! Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows with your host, Ryan Gable. George Orwell once wrote that it's a beautiful thing, the destruction of words. An idea that takes us back to the book of Genesis in the Bible and the story of the Tower of Babel, a story that is told by the Mormons in the book of Ether, told by the Sumerians in the story of the House of Foundation of Heaven and Earth, the Etmananki, told in Islam, specifically a slightly different story in Judaism and also in Greece. They had a similar story of the Tower of Babel. Man building a tower, literally or symbolically, to heaven or at least attempting to do something in a unified manner, speaking one language, having the ability to communicate and understand each other. And it wasn't the Lord, it wasn't the singular God. It was actually us, plural, multiple gods came down and said, you can't do that, and then scrambled the language so that everybody spoke in Babel. Genesis 11, 9, that is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. Again, if you go to Genesis 11, 7, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So there was plurality happening here. We have more than one God. 
That is not the purpose of tonight's show to go into the details of that, but that should imply something that is uh, perhaps much different than you've than you've been led to believe about that biblical story. There's clearly more than one God. It's not a singular God like a lot of people think. Now, when you have this idea of, of language being altered or suppressed or people having their ability to communicate confused, this is something that you find in every culture all throughout history. In fact, up until relatively recently, up until about the 1950s, most of the world was pretty illiterate. And now today, in the 21st century, far more people can read and write. But throughout most of history, people were generally speaking unable to read, unable to write, and had very limited knowledge, had very limited information, were not very well educated by any standard, and certainly didn't have the ability to communicate and to express themselves with the same kind of language and access to communication devices, etc., that we do today. And at 100 years, it'll probably be a very similar situation looking back on the early days of the 21st century. We'll look back in 2100 on the first days of the 21st century in the same way we look back today on the first days of the 20th century, early 1900s. So when it comes to language, when it comes to communication, for the most part, people have been pretty illiterate, pretty unable to communicate in ways that we communicate today. Not everybody knew how to read and knew how to write. And especially in Western civilization and in developed nations, we kind of take it for granted that we know how to read, that we know how to write, that we can communicate in ways that culturally speaking, are not present in certain developing countries. And in certain countries in general or in certain cultures that have been destroyed by, well, I don't know, everything from IMF loans to warlords, collapsed governments, you name it, where the people are basically animals that are abused and used and treated as cattle and slaves and they kill each other and it's just a a hellhole like a lot of African nations, unfortunately. It's a hellhole, like large parts of India. It's a, it's, a, it's a hellhole, like large parts of the world, South America, etc. Not just because of communist governments, but because of things that, because of corruption and other reasons, things collapse, people aren't educated. And when people aren't educated, when people can't communicate, they resort to violence, they resort to aggression. So if people can be educated and people can learn how to communicate, then we live in a more civilized world. That's what civilization is. It's community, it's communication, it's finding out what are other people's problems, what do other people need, what do I need, and then finding some kind of middle ground and balance. You know, it's just, in a civil society, you don't throw trash on the ground, you don't urinate on the side of the road, and that's why when you see people that come to the United States from other countries that do things like that, you realize that's not the same kind of quote-unquote immigrant that came through Ellis Island. It's not the same kind. It's not someone who came here for a better life. It's someone who is being used, who might not speak the language. They're being used as a, as a free vote. They're being used to change the, the demographic. That's a very real thing. 
But people that act that way are usually not educated. It's not even because of drugs. And when you're not educated, you have more children. You're more prone to violence. Because when you can't communicate, it's why babies cry. It's why kids get destructive. If they can't communicate, the only way that they know how to is to do things that are dramatic. So language is really important. And an ability to express yourself is really important. Now, when you can't express yourself because there are cultural, I guess you could say cultural laws in a sense. Like there are just certain things you don't say. As especially as a white person, there's just there are certain things you don't say because that could be interpreted as offensive. And I always tell people, I'm offended if you're offended. I'm going to express myself however I choose to express myself. I'm not going to suppress my feelings because it might offend you. Within reason, of course, with the best intentions. Because if I don't have reason and I don't have the best intentions, then I just become, basically, I just become an ass. I just become that animalistic barbarian that I'm talking about. But if I have reason, if I have some kind of um, some kind of uh, awareness or consciousness that's active, then we have a different situation. And I don't need to watch the things that I say because it could potentially offend somebody. Not curse words. Not I'm not trying to offend somebody. But if I say excuse me, ma'am, because that's a courteous thing to do in civilization is to say excuse me and to address somebody civilly. And that person freaks out because they identify as a man, even though they're a woman. I'm not going to have my voice controlled and I'm not going to have my language controlled by someone who's clearly mentally ill. But it also depends on how that person handles the situation. How do they react? All of that has to do with communication, and all of that can be a very momentary thing. Now, I'm not a linguistics professor. I'm not a professor of culture. I, I, don't, I don't know if people would agree with me generally on what I'm saying. The core of what I'm getting at here is there are many ways to suppress and to control language. You can do it by making words, names, phrases, and ideas taboo, words that trigger people to react a certain way, and it doesn't... It's Politically speaking, it goes every direction. You can also suppress speech by forcing people to use certain words like pronouns. You can do these things culturally and socially through media, or you can do them through legislation. You can change the definitions of words like inflation or pandemic. You can ban certain words like some states have done. Some cities have done. New York City has banned words many years ago on tests that are taken by students in the city of New York. Certain words like dinosaur, certain words like uh, witchcraft or war, etc. And those words, I don't know if they're actually banned or they're still they're enforcing that, but I think it was back in like 2011, 2012, that was out of New York City. The, the, the school uh, schools there were banning these, these words. So you can literally ban words, and I'm using that as an example because you see, you see this in the modern day, words being banned because they're considered offensive or whatever the excuse is. Or you can add useless words. You can make certain forms of behavior, I would say almost, I don't want to say animalistic, but almost like illiterate, barbaric-like behaviors where people don't know how to read or write and they don't know anything about communication. All they know is ego and aggression 
and that's how they respond. And you can use you can you can leverage the the the, the ignorance of the general public, which creates violence and it makes people uncomfortable and people are scared to leave their homes and it makes the world feel like a much more dangerous place. So basically allowing or cultivating certain forms of behavior over communication. I mean, I, I told you that story about my neighbors here in Tucson. I finally got that situation resolved, not because of them, because of the HOA and the police, but trying to talk to them about parking their car in front of my garage. I got recordings of this. This dad, who's like probably in his 60s, he's actually a, a grandkids, this guy is screaming at me and calling me like he called me a weasel and he's like shut up shut up shut up shut up like literally shut up here's what white people do he's just calling me racist he's he's saying I'm, I'm, I'm this is what white people do so i'm i'm a racist although he's calling me those names and then his son gets involved and gets in my face with his chest puffed and i'm <laughs> i i'm just not that kind of a person i was like i was like what, what are you doing he's like oh bro bro say something smart again bro bro it's like what are you, are you in a gang? Are you trying to sound cool? You sound like a, like a, like a baboon. It's just, you're, you're an animal. You're a barbarian. No offense to barbarians, but this is like, this is something I just experienced recently. This is how people act. You can't, you cannot have a conversation with people like that. Another way to control language, of course, is to restrict access to other languages. And this is the root core my neighbor's not black, so that's not a racially thing. That's not a racial thing that I said. He's acting like a baboon. He is. He's like throwing feces. He's acting like an animal. So the reason I wanted to do tonight's show is because of this one article I read, which I thought it was so so important to to discuss this kind of synchronistic with some of the other stuff we've been discussing recently about the usage of language for defining weather. Like bomb cyclones and rain bombs and atmospheric rivers and things that may have been terms used by meteorologists or people like I, I'm a I'm a big weather guy. I love weather. You know, I've heard some of these terms before, probably before they some of them before they went mainstream, but the average person hasn't. So when you start using those words, it scares people. A rain bomb. What's a rain bomb? You think bomb. Someone's going to explode. People are going to die. You think war. That scares people. We've been talking about that recently. And there's actually another article from the New York Times about how we can use language to better communicate the threat of climate change. This is the New York Times. In the same way we, we talked about uh, I think he was, what's his name, Ryan Gregory, the professor up in Canada, who said we need to change the definitions or the words or the usage of words, etc. Change the way that we define and the way that we word uh, the new variants for COVID-19 because people are not afraid enough. So we need to call XBB Basilisk or the Kraken because these monsters will, will scare people. That's literally what he said. We read you the article, several articles, and this is just a guy who was on Twitter and it kind of went viral. And now we're the media is actually going along with it. The, the Kraken variant, the this variant, not every news source, but it's just another example. Weather is now a bomb and a, 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 a number like a number and a few letters for a for a variant is now a mythological monster. In both cases, because a, a rain bomb scares you, a kraken will scare you more than XBB-115, which sounds like a droid or something. 
So with all of that considered, I want to read to you this article from the Arizona Central. Again, I believe this is a USA Today affiliate. They've got the same website design, etc. So this is not just a story here in Arizona. This is a story across the whole country. Now, in terms of being a radio host and in terms of having a responsibility to at least try to be objective, um, and also because I, I can, I'm guilty all the time of pronouncing words incorrectly, especially English words, uh, but other words as well. So there are just three examples here. I'm pretty sure I know how to say aloha or hola, Spanish, or shalom in Hebrew. These are the three words that are being discussed in this article. It says, is it time to stop saying aloha and other culturally sensitive words out of context? Well, you might think that, well, that that whole title there kind of represents what you're saying, though, Ryan. Do you disagree with this article? And I'm 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 looking at this article and I'm and I'm thinking, well, I, I guess I out of context. But the thing is, who defines context? That's always my question. Who defines the context? Professors? Do they define the context? Does the media define the context? Because for a long time, you listen to rap music, people used to shout out Donald Trump's name in rap music. Then suddenly overnight, it became a taboo thing to to even like the color orange. It's just how things can change so quickly. Who, Who defines that? Who defines the taboo? Who defines the context? That's a rhetorical question, but it's something to think about. So this article says, Aloha, Ola, Shalom. And if I am pronouncing one of those words incorrectly, it's not because I'm culturally insensitive. It's because I don't speak those languages. And I'm simply trying to impart an idea here to you. I'm not trying to you know, learn how to speak Hawaiian or Spanish or Hebrew, etc., So these are ways to say hello in Hawaiian or Hawaiian, Spanish, and Hebrew, respectively. Aloha, hola, and shalom. But just because you can say something doesn't mean it's always appropriate. Now, the treatment of this article is something that I I understand, I tend to agree with. But it's the further reaching implications of the underlying context of this article that disturb me, and it's the reason that I prepared tonight's show the way that I did. It says in this article, on the surface, simple greetings and phrases from other races and cultures may seem fine to sprinkle into our vernacular, inclusive even. But did you know that aloha doesn't just mean hello or goodbye? It's actually a greeting or a farewell with a deeper meaning. According to and I'm probably going to pronounce her name wrong. I pronounce names wrong more than any other thing. Male Arvin, Director of Pacific Island Studies at the University of Utah. One of my Hawaiian language teachers taught me, they say, that aloha means recognizing yourself in everyone and everything you meet. And if you're not Hawaiian, say Hawaiian or Hawaiian, And you say it, it could come off as mockery, says the article. And that's just one word to think about. The use of certain words requires education, something I agree with. Sure, it requires education. And even if you have the education, you're not always going to pronounce it correctly. I mean, I speak English. I don't always pronounce English words correctly. 
You have to have the knowledge. You have to have the foresight to understand when they should or shouldn't come out of your mouth. Now, to be objective here, if I just went up to anybody who looked Hebrew, not sure what Hebrews look like, but if I go up to just anybody who looks like they're a Hebrew, I'm like, yeah, shalom, 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 shalom. And I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not joking and I'm intending to be offensive, then it's the intent, it's the offense that causes the conflict and the problem. I could easily go up to the same people, not say shalom, and just start harassing them because of what they're wearing or what I assume their religion is, etc. I could do that to Muslims, Jews, Christians, you name it. Nobody has an issue when Christians are mocked and made fun of. It's a routine in Hollywood. I mean, for that matter, nobody even cares for the most part when Muslims, unless you are Muslim or you're an actual, an actual religious-minded terrorist, you don't really care when Muslims are harassed. Jews, it's a little different story, as the, this cultural protection around Jews in particular. But if I just went up to somebody and I said something offensive to be offensive, then it's the intent in what I'm doing. Now, if I go up to somebody and I use the word shalom, and they say, we prefer you not to use that word, say, well, do, do you own that word? Because I, I'm pretty sure I can use whatever word I want to use. Well, it's culturally insensitive to us because, and this is what the, argu- the article is arguing, it's culturally insensitive to Hebrews because that's a word that, that they use. Now, the, now the, the underlying idea here is obviously English speakers, right? Europeans. It's Europeans who, who do these things. Okay, I mean, but then couldn't, couldn't it also apply to, like, I don't speak French. I understand the, the, the smallest, minutest bit of, of German, but I don't speak German. So, like, I've, I can, I, if I say something that's German or something that's French because I'm reading it, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong. Am I being culturally insensitive to the French? Am I being culturally insensitive to the Germans? Or are we just talking about Hawaii? Are we just talking about um, Spanish? Are we just talking about Hebrew? I mean, I, where, where do these languages come from anyway? There's, there's a lot of languages that come from the same source, like Japanese and Korean largely come from well, what we would call Chinese or Mandarin. Japanese use some of the same characters as the Chinese use. I mean, ultimately, everything ends up going back to a, well, just like the Tower of Babel. It goes back to a central source or at least a series of central sources. And it's not Spanish or German or English or Hawaiian or whatever. It's all coming from a similar uh, place. So how far do you go back? It's just like the idea with reparations for slavery and things like how far do you go back? You know, I have native ancestry myself. Do I deserve reparations? It's, it's that kind of a thing. So the article continues. It says, we live in a multilingual world, obviously. Of course, not all uses of language outside someone's culture are problematic. Right, because if you're, if you're whatever and you use English inappropriately to mock English people, to mock European people, that's okay because English people are bad. At least that's the, the global consensus. According to Nikki Lane, cultural and linguistic anthropologist, we live in a multilingual world. Do you really need to be 
a linguistic anthropologist, to know that, of course, we live in a multilingual world. She says, we're, we're always influencing one another's language practices hand where we might come into contact with a variety of terms or language practices that we are not growing or we have not grown up with. So, yes, that's obvious. We interact with people all the time, even people that speak our language that have different dialects that come from different places. They pronounce things differently. There's different kinds of slang, depending on where you are in your own city, for that matter, let alone your own state, province, country, etc. Now, I agree with the article when they say intention matters most. Dropping an hola or shalom to someone you know who speaks Spanish or Hebrew isn't something to worry about. Well, thank you for telling me what I should or shouldn't worry about. This is what the news does. However, they say if you don a fake, exaggerated accent and say those words, then it's a problem. Well, if that's the case, and I'm imagining, I'm also, I'm assuming, I'm assuming that this was a very liberal author who wrote this. I find it ironic because recently Obama put on a Southern accent. We've seen Hillary Clinton put on, I mean, multiple personalities, not just accents. When she goes to certain places, politicians do this a lot. They, they do accents depending on where they go, right? So they, they, I mean, they should be considered culturally insensitive. The, the culturally sensitive Hillary Clinton, Obama types, that they, they're the ones that are culturally insensitive. They're the ones that on a big stage are doing this all the time. But that's neither here nor there. They say, for example, if you say ni hao to someone who's Asian, who isn't Chinese, that could be a problem. That could be a microaggression. Uh, that's a word they made up, so I don't, I don't consider microaggression a real word. Just like inflation. It's not a real word. That's a word they taught you. And I mean that literally. I don't consider microaggression a real world, a, a real word in the real world. It's not a real word. They made it up. Okay? Completely made it up. But I agree. If you just go up to anybody who looks Asian and say, ni hao, and you're trying to be offensive, that's not probably a good idea. But likewise, have you ever been to Chinatown? Do you know that like traditionally you go to a Chinatown, they don't want you there. Like if you go to a black neighborhood, the, like in a really bad part of town, they don't want you there. Hispanic community, they don't want you there. People don't want, especially when they're low income and poor and not so educated. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, Hispanic. People don't want you there because they don't think you belong there. And furthermore, it's not just other races of people. It's people within your own race. Look at how black folks treat other black folks who decide that they want to they want to leave those conditions. They want to get a good job or go to college. They're treated as white people. This isn't my opinion. This is what, I mean, this is a cultural thing. This is uh, something you can study. This is what people who have lived in those conditions have told me. That's how, I mean, a friend of mine actually was, was basically, she was actually called white because she wanted to get a job and not live in those conditions anymore. She wanted to better herself. This is, this, is, this is a multicultural thing. It affects every culture. But I agree, if you just go up to somebody and say, ni hao, I mean, that's probably probably a, an offensive thing. Can you say it? Yeah. Could you potentially get your ass beat? Potentially. However, if you go to China and say it, it's probably more in context, and you're probably, 
probably, you know, in that in that particular situation, if you go to China and say it's probably a little little different, right? So yeah, context matters. But ultimately, intention matters the most. Context certainly matters. And they say intention matters in this article. So I, I agree with them in this to be objective. I agree. Intention matters. Context matters. But the whole idea, as you continue to read this article, is that it's it's language. It's when you speak. It's when you try to learn another language and you're not part of that culture that it becomes insensitive. We're going to talk more about this when we come back from break. I find that I find that utterly disingenuous and I find it kind of offensive to the idea that if I want to learn another language or like Jerry Seinfeld said, if I like their race, how can I be a racist? If I, if I like their race or if I like their language, how can that be offensive if I like those things? Isn't that the opposite of being offensive or racist, etc.? We'll talk more about this when we come back from break. We're also going to talk about the details of how we term weather or diseases, something we've talked about relatively recently. We'll kind of recap that, and we'll continue through our Leaning Tower of Babel show tonight. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. rdgable at yahoo.com is the email. tstradio at protonmail.com is the second email. www.thesecretteachings.info is the website. More after this. Don't go anywhere. Hey, this is Charlie Robinson, the Octopus of Global Control author, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. It's 2023, the year of the rabbit, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings on GroundZero.radio. Want to hear more of The Secret Teachings radio show? Search for the show on any radio or podcast player, or find links and a free archive at thesecretteachings.info. If you want to get rid of those annoying ads and get extra perks like access to the montage archive, digital copies of Ryan's books, and early access to the show, then subscribe to the full show archive at thesecretteachings.info. Visit the website and click the button that says subscribe. You can do so monthly, yearly, or through a one-time donation. Your support always keeps the secret teachings on the air. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. 
This is David John Oates from ReverseSpeech.com. You are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is the frequency of The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. listening to the secret teachings radio hour number two i'm ryan gable your host i think the real foundation of our leaning tower of babel is not only context and intention in the usage of language but it's whether or not another person will be offended regardless of what you've said or regardless of how you've acted some people will be offended regardless of what the context or the intention is and when someone is offended regardless of the context or the intention this is not something you can control parents tell their kids this if you have maybe a mentor or a life coach i know that's a big thing they'll probably tell you the same thing don't worry about what other people think of you Usually, what most people are thinking of you is the same thing you're thinking of them. What's this person thinking of me? Don't stress yourself out with how people feel or what people think about you. No matter how culturally sensitive you try to be to a particular culture, there's always going to be someone in that culture who's going to be culturally insensitive to your culture. And there's always going to be someone who's going to be offended regardless of how culturally sensitive you try to be. So don't stress, don't worry, don't think too much about these kinds of things that are called, according to the Arizona Central, and I believe, again, this is a USA Today affiliate, what they call microaggressions. Now, I agree objectively with this article They say that context and intention matter when you're using other language. Like if you say aloha, it doesn't just mean hello or goodbye. It has a deeper meaning. But obviously it has a deeper meaning. I mean, every word has a deeper meaning. I'm learning Japanese. If you say ohio, it means hello informally. But Japanese also has a formal language. language. So you say ohio gazimas. That means good morning, hello, in a way that is more formal, but the wording comes, and I, I don't, I can't explain the entire history of this, but the wording for Ohio comes from uh, farmers getting up very early in the morning, and I don't know the, the again the etymology of it in particular, but it comes from farmers getting up really early in the morning and admiring how early the next farmer, their neighbor, gets up. So there's there's a history to it. Every word has a has a history to it. Of course, obviously, it's, yeah, aloha has a deeper meaning. Every word has a deeper meaning. That's not a new piece of information that they give us in this article. They say if you're not Hawaiian, it could come off as mockery if you say aloha. Really? It's mockery? If you're listening in Hawaii and someone said, and maybe you're actually native Hawaiian, I don't know what that means nowadays, but if you, does that, does aloha offend you? I mean, if you come to the United States and you say, hello, how are you? Am I going to be offended by that? 
It's just this implication that the only people that have culture are the Hawaiians or the Hebrews. Nobody else has culture. Especially Americans. Americans have no culture, which is really fundamentally disgusting and grotesque because what it's implying is this melting pot that we call the United States of America, this experiment in self-government, which can be hijacked on emotions and the changing of words and definitions and the control of language, America is a cultural melting pot. So to suggest that it's America the idea that has no culture, that has no deeper meaning to the language, is fundamentally offensive and discriminatory to virtually every single culture, every single language, every single people that call themselves Americans. As if only Hawaiians have culture. Only Hebrews have culture. It's fundamentally racist. It's fundamentally discriminatory. It's fundamentally disgusting. Because that's the implication here. Reading between the lines. This is not just one news article. This is what is being taught in schools. To be cautious of those microaggressions and those cultural sensitivities. Well, then I'm going to be culturally sensitive. My neighbor called me a white guy who wants to harass women because that's what white people do when I ask them to stop parking in front of my garage. And his son told me his dad can't be racist because that's reverse racism. And I said, no, that's a word they made up. Racism is just discrimination based on the color of somebody's skin. It's stereotyping based on the color of somebody's skin or based on their race. They don't always have to be skin color. See, that's the whole thing, though. They change the definitions of words pit people against each other. These people have special privileges. These people have no privileges, no rights whatsoever. And every generation, it could change. Every generation, one group could lose their rights. Another group could gain additional rights. But the group that gains the additional rights are just being used by the system to destroy a more powerful group perceptually, historically, culturally, in a given situation, context, state, country, wherever. And then once that group gets more perceptual power, another group will be used to leverage against them to take their power away. All controlled by power brokers that use language to control your perception, how you see the world, how you interact in the world, Power brokers that give you a little bit of power by telling you that you can do and say what you want because you have a history of oppression. You have a history of being um, oppressed. So you, you, you have a right to, to abuse these other people who didn't do anything to you, but because their ancestors might have oppressed your ancestors. Or how do you define oppression? How do you define ancestors? Like everybody is mixed together. And besides, this is America. So to, it's like, it's offensive to me to suggest only the Hawaiians have a culture. It's, it's offensive to me to suggest only the Hebrews have culture. Shalom has a deeper meaning. Of course, shalom has a deeper meaning. Every word we use has a deeper meaning. What does understand mean? It means to stand under something. To stand under the authority of the judge or the police officer. Do you understand these rights? Of course, it has a deeper meaning. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hopefully you don't understand. Hopefully you simply process and comprehend 
that information, or at least you just process that information in it. And it's something that you remember. Hopefully you don't understand me. I'm not, I'm not an authority that you need to please or appease or agree with. I'm simply providing you with, with some perspective. This article, and this is what started the show tonight, it's time to stop saying aloha and other culturally sensitive words. And they say context and intention matter. I agree with that. But they say if you don't do these things in context or with the right intention, and even sometimes if you do, it could still be considered a microaggression. Microaggression is a word that was fabricated, made up, manufactured in its current context so that when you say something, no matter how sensitive you're trying to be, no matter how in context or how up to date or how social justice inspires you to speak a certain way or to act a certain way, no matter what your intention is, it can still be perceived as a microaggression, which is why I said, no matter what your culture, no matter what your language, there's always going to be somebody in your own culture and in another culture with your own language and in another language, who's going to be offended regardless of how you act or what you say, no matter the context, no matter the intention, no matter the micro or the macro aggression. There's always going to be somebody offended. And there's always going to be somebody in those other cultures, other races, ethnicities, languages that are going to say things and do things to you that are going to be offensive to you, whether they're in context or out of context with intention or otherwise. What we're doing is we're giving certain people more rights. We're giving certain people more of an ability to say and do whatever they want to say and do to tear down the power or the perceived influence of one other group. And then when this new group gets more power and influence, that group will be torn down by another group. It is a cycle that Mao Zedong called class warfare. This isn't just class warfare, though. This is racial warfare. This is warfare of, of um, pretty much, it's like, it's like every... Everything in society, it's our language, it's our sports even, it's our entertainment, it's our media, it's our language. Everything is pitted against each other within and without culture, within and without other languages, states, countries, provinces. Everything is divided and separated and polarized. This is about control. This is psychology. This is how you control language. But again, I find it offensive that articles like this suggest that only the Hebrews or the Hawaiians have a culture. What are you talking about? And plus, that's fundamentally, I mean, it's fundamentally, I don't want to keep saying it's not racist. It's just fundamentally discriminatory. It's fundamentally disgusting. It's fundamentally anti-human to suggest that, well, America, you know, Western civilization doesn't have these cultures, doesn't have these these ideas or deeper meanings to their words. Yes, they do, because America is made up of countless cultures and languages and hard work. They're trying to control language by controlling the way that you interpret, the way that you perceive, the way that you act in relation to the language, the way that you think, therefore. It's all another exercise in mind control. Now, the article goes on and concludes by saying, think before you speak. 
There are one, two, three, four, five action items to help keep your language in check. And by keeping your language in check, you're unable to express how you feel, of course, how you actually think, which means you're actually keeping your brain and your mind in check, your thoughts in check, and that would be mind control, ladies and gentlemen. Here are the five things that they say you should do. Make an effort to befriend people from other cultures. Um, Personally, I find such a suggestion quite racist and culturally insensitive. I'm not going to seek people out because of the way that they look or because of the way that they dress. I'm not going to go up to someone who's wearing a headscarf and be like, hey, are you Muslim? Because I need a Muslim friend. I'm not going to go up to someone who's black and be like, hey, you want to be friends because you're black and I need a black friend. I go up to someone who's overweight. Hey, you're fat. Can we be friends? I need a fat friend. And and the thing is, that's what they're saying, but they sugarcoat it with language. Another form of mind control. Make an effort to befriend people of other cultures. How am I supposed to do that? By seeking out other cultures and saying, let's be friends. Now, it's different if you're saying, hey, I want to learn about your culture. And I use the Muslim example because I have a friend who's from Saudi Arabia and she's Muslim, not extremely strict. But when I I met her when I was living in Boise, Idaho, she was going to the university. Uh, I was being paid for by the Saudis. And uh, we started talking. It wasn't dating or anything. We were just actually actual platonic friends. And I said, I'm interested to learn more about Islam from someone who's not in the West and someone who doesn't watch Western media. And I said, I would like your perspective. And I, I, I even did some of the, I did Ramadan with her and I did some other, other things that Muslims do. And she taught me a little bit about what they believe. Things that I kind of assumed were the case because I didn't believe Western media. And that is like, I didn't intend to make a friend with her because she was Muslim. It just, it just happened. You know, th- th- this would be like suggesting that you should make an effort to find a an intimate partner from another race or another culture. It's just like, that seems really, really wrong. To me, and maybe it doesn't, maybe I'm wrong. It, it, to me, it sounds wrong. Like, make an effort to, to befriend and marry a woman or a man from another culture. What, like a, like a mail order bride or like I, I need a, I need a Russian wife. I need a, I need a Spanish wife. I need a a Jewish wife. I need a whatever. Like that just seems wrong. All right. Number two, ask yourself why you are saying the term. Why are you saying a certain term like aloha, for example? I don't know because it, it's made it into our lexicon. It's made it into the way that we, that we speak culturally whether it's aloha or any other word. Like, when I, I started learning Japanese, and, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of words in, that we use in English that are Japanese words. I mean, people say sayonara. I didn't know what that meant as a kid. It means goodbye. People use words from other languages all the time without thinking about it. Like, when you say, you know, gazuntite, <laughs> or when you... When you say something or you, and it doesn't always have to be language, it could also be a cultural thing. Like if you're using chopsticks, is that offensive to people that use chopsticks? 
I mean, if you go to countries where you would assume they use chopsticks, they also use forks and spoons now. So to, to, to adapt to another culture, to learn from that culture, and to try to learn the language and, and to learn the, the, the subtleties of that culture, how in any way, shape, or form can that be discriminatory or racist? Unless, of course, the intention is to be offensive, then it has nothing to do with race or culture. You're just an asshole. Plain and simple. Number three, remember the weight of words. Remember the weight of words. I remember the weight of words. When my neighbor called me a weasel, that was kind of funny. Doesn't weigh on me, doesn't change my life. I think it's funny. I get a laugh out of it. I might live an extra five minutes because of all the laughter from it. Remember the weight of words. Of course, words are weightful. But who are they directing this toward? They're directing this toward English-speaking people, largely Europeans, in particular Americans. How about everybody else in the world makes an effort to befriend people of other cultures? How about that? Because if you go to Chinatown, Chinatown usually doesn't want you there. I've been to Chinatown in San Francisco. They did not want me there. So tell the Asians, all Asians to welcome people from other cultures. Maybe ask other cultures and people that speak other languages other than English why they choose to say English words. Ask them that. Maybe ask them to worry about or remember the weight of the words that they use. Or perhaps remember the weight of the words that professors and the media use when they imply, suggest, and demand that you believe that America is bad. America is a terrible place. How about you remember the weight of those words? Number four, avoid terms you don't know. Why would I use terms I don't know anyway? That just sounds like it's obvious. Avoid terms you don't know. I don't know the terms, so of course I'm avoiding them. And then they say, and this is the classic liberal fascist university ideology. Educate, educate, educate. Great, but what are you educating yourself in? Whether it's the history of colonialism in Hawaii or other significant historical facts, knowledge helps fight ignorance. Really? I'm pretty sure if I go back into Hawaiian history, wasn't all peaceful. I'm pretty sure if I go back into Native American history, not only was it not all peaceful, it doesn't justify people doing bad things to each other within or without those cultures or societies, but if I go back far enough what we call Native Americans were not the only people here. The Egyptians were here. Hell, the, the Jomon were here. The Jomon made trips to South America like, what was it, like around the time of the Younger Dryas period. Way before Native Americans that you know were here. So educate, edu- educate what? It all comes back to this anti-colonialism, anti-white, anti-European, anti-American, anti-human thing. When America, of all countries, is a melting pot of all the languages, all the cultures, all the opportunities, anything you want to do, anything you want to be. Educate, educate, educate. This is the cult. This is the way that you control language. You control people's perceptions. When you can control language and perception, and largely, I think, an extension of that perception, how you want other people to perceive you, how you think other people should perceive you. You want to be a good person. Look at me. I have a BLM shirt on. I'm a good person. I'm a good white person. Look, I stand up for all you colored people. You need me to stand up for you. You know, people that act like that, 
people that act just just very I think it's a, it's a very antisocial thing to act like that. But that kind of attitude comes from having definitions of words changed and altered, words removed, banned, words replaced, words added. It comes from having certain words that are considered wrong to say, other words that are enforced that you have to say them in order to fit in or in order to be culturally sensitive. All of this is Marxist ideology. All of this is cultural or what Mao said was perpetual cultural or class warfare. And, and I, I understand it's not all class, but it's, it's all forms of polarizing warfare. Warfare of language, warfare of culture, warfare of tradition, warfare of you know your favorite sports team. Everything is conflict. Everything is, is a battle. Everything is divisive. As George Orwell said, it's a beautiful thing, the destruction of words. Why is it a beautiful thing? Because if you can control language, you control people in every way, every shape, and every form. The 21st century, a lot more people are literate today than they were in the 1950s worldwide. Now, as the United Nations has said, education is a threat to sustainability. Education, literacy, being able to read and write is a threat to sustainability. This is not me saying this. This is the UN and UNESCO. This is a threat to sustainability. How is learning to read and write, how is being truly educated about all things, not just specific things, how is that a threat to sustainability? Unless sustainability means something different in the same way that maybe context means something different when you define context or when you define intention or when you define education. When you define those words differently, then it might make more sense. Perhaps learning to read and write, learning to think outside of universities, outside of the media, outside of the World Economic Forum, if you will. Learning to think, learning to to to. to take responsibility, learning to read, learning to write. That's a threat to people who want to be your lords, who want to control the land, who want to take possession of all the things you own, collectively control them, and have you work the land in subservience. I mean, in, 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 a, in a state of feudalism, the people that worked the land usually did not know how to read or write. And you don't want those people to learn how to read or write. Because if they learn how to read or write, they might be properly educated to go out and do something on their own. And if they're educated and responsible and they can go do something on their own, then the Lord that controls the land and controls the property loses someone who is obviously producing for them. Now, if you're talking about lords and landlords and you're talking about people that work the land obviously some people choose to enter into those agreements historically because for the most part you know you have protection you have shelter you have food and you this is just your job so there's there's more to it than that but my, my point is if you are educated and you can speak and you can communicate and you're not compulsively obsessed with race and skin color and gender and nationality and all these things, 
and you're more concerned with the information, you're more concerned with the discussion, the debate, coming to common ground, understanding, which takes effort, meaning that you need to understand, and we're talking about culture and language, you understand other people's cultures. Understand that even within other cultures, people don't always agree. I mean, it's like you, we talk about Hawaiians like they're this one giant group of people that collectively have the same opinions. That in and of itself is offensive to me, and I'm not Hawaiian. It's the idea that you're just this group, this blob, and we're here to protect you from people saying aloha. I mean, the idea of, of that word... Aloha. And the idea that we need newspapers and universities to tell us it has a deeper meaning, you know, you stupid white people. It has a deeper meaning. Of course it has a deeper meaning. The idea that Hawaiians collectively get offended when you use that language. Well, okay, so if that's the case, then personally, I don't think all Hawaiians think in unison. They're all individual people that are probably concerned with paying their bills. And those that are concerned more historically with their culture want to preserve their culture. So then what's the problem with Europeans wanting to preserve their culture? What's the difference? In every culture, there's barbarism. In every culture, there's theft and there's rape. There's war. There's destruction and chaos. There's famine. There's slavery in every single culture. You're telling me at no point in history there were any slaves in Hawaii? You're telling me that Native Americans didn't have slaves? They enslaved other tribes. Every single culture. So if the Hawaiians get to preserve aloha, and I have liberal newspapers telling me that I can't say aloha because it's offensive to Hawaiians. Why is it that it's people that are at the universities or in media that tell me how other cultures think, tell me how I should interact with other cultures, and if those other cultures are truly offended, then I'm also allowed to be offended. If you want to, whatever my perceived culture or history is, if you want to strip that away or demean it, or degrade it. If Hawaiians get to keep the word aloha, and I can't use that word, then you can't use English words. And that doesn't create a very inclusive world now, does it? It creates a very divisive, and yeah, I'm angry. A very angry world, like Klaus Schwab said. And that's the whole point. Speaking for other cultures, speaking for other languages, making other people feel like a piece of trash for trying to better themselves, for trying to learn another language, for trying to visit and interact with another culture. Because at the end of the day, when you do that, you find, well, the average person just wants to live their life, go to a movie, maybe go out to dinner, see their friends, go on a date. They're usually not concerned with, oh my God, somebody's using a word that's... an. It's in our dictionary. They're, they're using, oh my God, they're using a word. Control freaks care about that, though. People that want to control your brains control, uh, care about that. Want control your actions care about that. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. 
There's a lot more after this. Don't go anywhere. This is David Icke from davidike.com, author of The Phantom Self and The Perception Deception, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. It's 2023, the year of the rabbit, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings on GroundZero.radio. This is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesecretteachings. Hey there, it's Ryan Gable. You know you can always listen to The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday on GroundZero.radio. I don't need it. And for free in the monetized archives on our website or on any radio or podcast player. I don't need it. But you can also help support the show by subscribing to the ad-free archive with montages, digital books, and a private RSS feed. I definitely don't need it. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe today. I need support economically and energetically will keep us on air into the future. If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana? Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir. Or if that's not enough, check out Good Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info. That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. It not only supports The Secret Teachings, but most importantly, it supports you. Broadcasting from somewhere between heaven, hell, and purgatory, it's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Release the Kraken! Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows with your host, Ryan Gable. According to an article I have here from the Arizona Central, I believe an affiliate of the USA Today... Only Hawaiians, only Hebrews have a culture. You don't have a culture. Only certain groups have cultures. America has no culture, even though it's a melting pot of endless cultures coming together, working together, building a better world, civilization, all those terrible things the United Nations hates. The Arizona Central says that aloha can be a very offensive word because it has a deeper meaning. Really? All of words, every word, every language has a deeper meaning. I mean, the word understand means you stand under something. It means you're submissive. When people were filling out their papers to obtain religious or medical exemptions for their vaccines at their businesses, the letters that we wrote here on the secret teachings for people that helped them to get out of those mandates... We didn't use the word submit. We used the word declare. You're not submitting the paper. If you submit it, you're submitting to the people in charge and letting them make the decision. Your rights are not something to submit to. Your rights are something that you have to declare. This is every language, though. Every language has a deeper meaning. And every word that we speak 
can be pronounced in probably however many people on this planet, 8 billion people, 8 billion ways. No matter what the language is, Spanish, German, Japanese, English, hybrid languages of multiple languages coming together, the Japanese use dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of English words because it's trendy. They just give it a Japanese pronunciation. Someone told me that it's racist to say the Japanese word for allergy. I don't know if I even told you this on the show. I was told it was racist against the Japanese to say the word allergy. Why? Because the way that the word allergy is pronounced is kind of the stereotypical way that people might think Japanese people sound. The word allergy is pronounced a-re-rugi. A-re-rugi. Oh, that's racist. How is it racist? That's how you pronounce the word. It doesn't make any sense. That's literally how you pronounce the word. The Japanese classes I've been taking, just like if you were taking an English class, they tell you that no matter what textbook or who the teacher is when you're learning another language, there's always going to be people that pronounce words differently. People, when you speak that new language, could interpret what you're saying wrong based on pronunciation, just as easily as they as in your own language, people could interpret something incorrectly because of the use of words that you natively speak. Every language is like that. Cultures are different. Slang terms, language changes, language evolves. Look at what's happened to English. It's barely commanded. It's barely utilized. Everything is reductionist and not in a positive way. Some language like Japanese is very kind of, I don't mean this negatively, I mean it positively, it's reductionist. Once something is established in conversation, you don't keep referring to it. It's just assumed that that's going, and it's the context of the conversation. So Japanese language tends to, the Japanese language tends to use, and people in conversation tend to use a lot less word, a lot less words, a lot less um things that we would consider expressive, like we need to express this. They don't necessarily do that. But I'm not saying that's all Japanese in the same way that not all English people, English speaking people speak the way that pisses me off. You know, using everything's an abbreviation. Everything's just a grunt. Uh, 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 uh. You know, music now that's just mumbling. Like not every English person speaks that way. Obviously, some people speak a lot more articulate than I do a lot more expressive than I do. They have a larger variety of words to choose from. Everybody is different. Every language is different. And within those languages and cultures, people are going to interpret, people are going to perceive, there's going to be misunderstandings. It's not just when English people try to learn about another culture or another language. You know, I always think of that I think it was the first episode of South Park where they go to the the volleyball game. I think it's a volleyball game or something. And there's the two Chinese commentators and they're making fun of Americans. He's like, oh, let me do my impression of American. He's like, uh, I think I'll buy it with my credit card. They start laughing. Uh, why do we think that it's only Americans or English speaking people that are, quote, culturally insensitive. It's every single culture. And it has nothing to do with the culture or the country. It has to do with sometimes people are just joking. Sometimes people are trying to understand something. 
which is the, the least culturally offensive thing, or it should be the least culturally offensive thing, period. Sometimes people are just nasty and angry and mean. And that's not a language thing or a country thing or a cultural thing. It's just that's how people act. But it's really offensive to me to suggest, to imply this article that I have ends with one of the things you should, you should do before you speak, and that is educate yourself on the history of colonialism. Oh, so the article then is about anti-America, anti-colonialism, anti-white, anti-European. Good. I'm glad that they were honest at the end of the article, and I, am, I was able to infer that from the rest of the article because this is the ideology of crooks and Marxists in major universities. It's a microaggression. Context and intention matter, which is what any logical person would think when you use language or you use something that's perhaps for yourself culturally out of context. Language, intention, and context matter. You know, what, what is your intention? What, but how do you define these words? That's the question I always have. How do you define context? How do you find, define intention? You get to the back of this article and what's the conclusion? Educate yourself on colonialism. Oh, that's what it's all about. You don't like white people. You don't like America. You don't like Western civilization. You don't like indoor plumbing. You don't like medicine. And, but you do like those things at the same time. You like money and having a house and a car and an air conditioner. But you also don't like those things and think that they should be free. And then you should not have to pay for them. And then you get to keep them all as well, even though you don't produce anything or I don't know what people think, but it's along those lines. So educate yourself, educate yourself, educate yourself. The article says, well, I do educate myself and I've learned in radio a little bit of my study of law, how language can so easily be manipulated, how people can so easily be manipulated to believe things that are not true or to disbelieve things that are true. For example, Ryan Gregory, the professor in Canada, who says that the new COVID variant is not scary enough by name, and of course because it only infects for the most part people who are vaccinated and the symptoms are just coughing and sneezing, which is what would happen if you're spring cleaning, it's not scary enough to justify more vaccines. We need another name for it. How about the Kraken, a mythological sea monster that terrified sailors for generation and for centuries? That'll scare people. How about a bomb cyclone? How about an atmospheric river, Category 5? How about naming heat waves? How about a rain bomb? I remember Al Gore in his second Inconvenient Truth movie. I don't, I don't know if it was, too, I think it was Tucson. I know it was the American Southwest. And he says, this, this, this is a rain bomb. You, this is not normal. You don't normally see rain here in the desert. It's like playing on the most elementary idea that people have of, if you've never been to the Southwest, you've never been to the desert, like, what do, you, what do you think of? I know, what I, I know what I think of. Like, when I was in school, you, you know, you have to connect the dots or, or draw the line, compare the two things. Like, where are you going to get sun and a cactus? Oh, that's the desert. There's not much rain in the desert. And you draw the lines, like, when you're in second grade. 
That's what Al Gore is talking about. But he calls it a rain bomb. And you think, oh, they don't, it doesn't really normally rain in the desert. So if there's a rain bomb, oh my God, it must be climate change. No, that's just called monsoon season. Unless you lived here or you studied the area, you don't know that. Which is what makes me really upset because these people play on ignorance and emotions. Whether it's the Kraken or it's a rain bomb or it's a bomb cyclone, or it's a atmospheric river, or we're naming and categorizing things, not because, and not so we understand them and track them, but so we can scare people. And that tells you all you need to know. You don't have to be afraid of a virus. They want to name it something scary, so you are afraid. That What? They literally say that. They want you to be afraid of the weather. So there's only two solutions. Similar solutions, but two solutions. You do similar types of things to these problems. You get a vaccine or we vaccinate the planet. How do we vaccinate the planet? Well, it's very easy. Geoengineering. The New Yorker called geoengineering the vaccine that the planet needs to fight climate change, which is, of course, caused by CO2, which is how the SARS-CoV-2 viruses spread, so you should cover your mouth and not have kids and not travel. SARS-CoV-2 is really CO2. We have a zero-tolerance policy, right, for CO2 and SARS-CoV-2. In fact, speaking of zero-COVID policy, the Chinese were famous and still are famous for that. Once they had all these protesters who said, hey, we don't buy this anymore, suddenly, and the, these are the worst protests they've had in China since Tiananmen Square, suddenly, China says, well, we have some medical experts here, and uh, they say that COVID has mutated. This is Reuters reporting this from Shanghai. Um, COVID has mutated, and therefore it should be renamed, according to Reuters and state media. In other words, right when people saw through the ruse, you know, change the name. So they're not locking you down because of COVID anymore. They're locking you down because of the Kraken. They're locking you down because of the Basilisk. Changing the name so they can continue to justify what they're doing. This is what we do with viruses. It's what we do with the weather. And it keeps you in a state of fear and anxiety. And then it also makes you feel as if you're intellectually superior, right? Because you're wearing the mask or you're taking the vaccine or you're concerned with the weather. Like, don't you know about the atmospheric river? It's a category for it. There's flooding. People died in the flooding. The White House declared a state of emergency in the state of California for 11 people dying. It's not funny that 11 people died, but what's funny is that tens of thousands of people die in California from heart attacks that are preventable, from poor diets, lifestyle choices, drug overdoses, alcohol, fentanyl, and a bunch of other things. Nobody cares about those tens of thousands a year that die. 2,000 a month from dietary choices just in regard to the heart alone. Dozens and dozens, hundreds, if not thousands a day from drugs. But it's just the atmospheric river that's the problem. That's bringing the moisture, right? That's the real issue. That's the real problem. 
That's what you need to be concerned with. And this is how you control language. And also, you know, other things that you, you might not think about, like intonation, for example, the rising or the falling of the voice when you're speaking. So if you, you know, this is kind of the, the intention behind language. So if you say something, um, like if you're texting somebody, you put that question mark. The question mark is, of course, implied in everyday language, right? And it depends on the word choice that you use. But if you ask somebody, do you want me to pick you something up from the store? Do you want me to pick something up from the store for you? Do you need anything at the store? That's a question, but you don't have to say question mark. The question mark is implied. Now, there's also a way that we do it naturally. We don't think about it, but you know, we, we have a rise and fall in our voice that indicates whether we're asking a question or making a statement. Sometimes we might be excited or kind of taken off guard, and we say something with a different uh, tone of voice, a different level of intonation, and it sounds weird. So you know, if you text somebody, do you need anything at the store? And you put a question mark. That's implied when you say in person, do you need anything at the store? But if you say, do you need anything at the store? That sounds like a statement, right? That doesn't really sound like a question. It sounds like you're angry, <laughs> right? So we, we don't realize it because we naturally speak whatever language it is that we speak. And even if you speak more than one language, you, you probably recognize that in any language, no matter what the language is, that there's rising and falling of the voice. And... You know, doesn't matter again what the language is or um, what the even what your intention is. It can still come off wrong, or it can come off as you're you're being aggressive or mean, or or you're not even asking a question. You've asked somebody a question and they're like, "Oh, I thought you were just making a statement. You just you interpreted it wrong, right?" But that matters a lot, right? So if you if you look at the way in which things like neurolinguistic programming is utilized in the media and, and in entertainment. And you look at the way in which people like um, Yuval Harari or people like Bill Gates, the way that these people talk or the way that they present themselves. And we've even read the American Medical Association's um, suggestions for TV and radio and whatnot, the interviews, like video interviews for doctors and scientists and how they should how they should sit and how they should position themselves. It's all about body language, and, and that's another, again, kind of language. But the intonation matters. You don't raise your voice. You talk very gently, right, like Bill Gates does. we, we got to get this population number pretty close to zero. But if you were saying, we must get this population number down to zero, and you have the accent and you're angry and you're pounding your fists, suddenly that sounds like you might be a... Uh, a murdering psychopath, a eugenicist. You might be Hitler or Stalin. You're screaming, especially if you have the accent. That's why they act so calm and they have the sweaters on and they usually have like a little tiny pudge in their, their stomach, the little pudgy stomach, and they just look like they're not offensive. They couldn't harm you. And then when you apply the accent, Klaus Schwab or Yuval Harari or whoever it is, you apply the accent or the speaking patterns that bill gates has that that and the hand movements and you put all that together then you get someone who looks like they could easily just be pushed over 
and they're not a threat. So if they're like, we got to get this population number down to zero, you're like, oh, yeah, I can, I can agree with that. I mean, he looks like he's borderline retarded or he's got muscular dystrophy. So I trust him. Doesn't seem to have any swastikas on his person. I trust this guy. That's what it's that's that's what it's all about. And the more you have the accent, the more that you move the hands or you act in a certain way. This is all language. This is how we communicate. And if you understand language and you understand that level of communication subconsciously, the body language, the way the intonation, you can become a master of that. You can manipulate people without them having any idea or any clue as to what's happening. I'd say there is a slight exception to that with a different context. Al Gore speaks and he says things really aggressively. But Al Gore has been around enough. He's been involved in the climate change discussion for so long and has made so many billions of dollars selling carbon credits with, you know, Gore and blood, his, <laughs> his actual his company. It's unbelievable. But he can yell and be really aggressive and mean because there's, well, there's more context to it. When he says the things he's saying and he's yelling about the weather and things like this, he's only doing that because it's such a dire issue, right? It's such a big problem that needs to be solved. And we don't have time for niceties. We need to do this now. There's rain bombs and atmospheric rivers and cyclones and tornadoes and hurricanes and droughts and floods. We need action now. And all that's staged. Because when you break it down, Al Gore absolutely cares nothing about the environment. If he did, he wouldn't be flying on his private jet. It's all acting. Not necessarily because, and in some cases, they might believe what they're saying, whether they're politicians or celebrities. It's acting in the sense that if I just sit here tonight on radio and talk to you, this is the real me, okay? I like a cup of tea. I like to take walks. Okay, I like to watch a hockey game. This is just me. This is just me. This is a hobby that became a career. It gave me purpose. It gave me direction in life. This is who I am. But if I utilized language intentionally, if I utilized intonation intentionally, if I utilized psychology and what I would term magic, which has a lot to do with psychology and language, if I utilize those things to control your perception of me, at some point it's not just being an entertainer, because I don't really consider myself an entertainer, but... A lot of radio people do. Not that that's a bad thing. But at some point, it's not just being an entertainer. It's being a fake and a fraud. It's being an actor. Now, if you tell people that's that's your image, then, then, then that's fine. you know. But if you're trying to make it seem as if you're naturally like this, but you're actually putting on a show and it's not entertainment, this is the real you, and then off air, you're something totally different. You either have multiple personalities or you're just trying to you're trying to build this image of yourself, which is different than who you really are. And so that, again, is a kind of a form of acting. And that is what you see in politicians. That's what you see in celebrities. And it's also what you see in the average person. You know, the average person isn't an actor. Or if you've ever watched SpongeBob, they're making a mermaid, barnacle boy, was it Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy movie? And they're using actors. <laughs> 
you've seen actors. You don't necessarily have to be an actor, but the average person walks around playing pandemic or playing insurrection and thinks that because they believe something or because they wear the uniform, they wear the garb, they wear the mask or they have the vaccine card or or they stand up for black people or they have the rainbow flag. Those are just not only virtue signals, they're ego signals. I stand up for all the poor, sad, crippled people. You seen the new Apple commercial? Totally disgusting. They got the girl with Down syndrome. They got the guy who or the, is it the guy who uses his feet to drive. All these crippled people that have you know problems. And it, I mean, I think that's cool. If you can drive a car with your feet, is that legal? I don't know. I mean, if you're got Down syndrome and you want to be a cheerleader, great. Like I sincerely, if I see someone, I I mean, I I, I can't do it. Stuff that cheerleaders do or the the guys that lift the cheer. I can't do any of that. So I don't care if you're Down syndrome or you're normal. You know, I, neither one of those, it doesn't matter which one you are. Like, I, that, that's kind of an admirable thing. If you're going to put yourself into a position like that and you can do something that's very talented. You might think the same thing with radio. Like, I'm really talented for radio. There's a lot of things I can't do, though. Okay? So, like, I, I could use so many examples. But Apple uses those people because they are a disgusting company that literally use slaves to make their products. And they're a disgusting company that use... Down syndrome and crippled people, and there's a deaf girl, deaf people in their commercials to make you feel that Apple is a great company that doesn't use suicide nets, that Apple's a great company that doesn't sell your information, trade your information, give your information away, work with the National Security Agency to spy on you. They want you to think we're good people because look, look, we have a paraplegic. Look, he's in the office. We have one. There's a black guy over there. We care. I mean, that's disgusting. It's really gross. It like it makes me want to throw up. You know, it doesn't make me want to punch them because they're Nazis. It makes me feel really bad and really sad, not for them, but for the people that are duped by that. Because the people that are duped by that are kind, emotional humans. And kind, emotional humans, which you would expect to find on an organic planet Earth are being manipulated with their emotions through language, body language, all kinds of language to have their energy stolen from them and channeled into sigils and talismans and ideas that they don't actually believe in, but it makes them feel good to believe in them either because one of two reasons, either because they, it actually makes them feel good and they don't realize they're being used or whether or not they realize that's irrelevant they use that as social currency because they're psychotic, which is what major studies up in Canada and other places have found. People that tell you how good they are, people that they, they called it virtue signaling, people that virtue signal in every shape, every way, every shape and form, every way, shape and form are doing that psychologically. The mass majority of people in the studies are doing that because they're looking for social currency. I can do whatever I want. I'm an LGBTQ. Meanwhile, you're actually abusing and, and disgracing the people that actually might be in those groups. I mean, it's, it's ironic that Apple would use people that are, that are deaf and have Down syndrome for their commercials 
because they, they basically use abused and beaten and tortured slaves to make their products. But they want you to see, look, we take care of our paraplegics. We care. Look, look over there. You see the girl in accounting? She's got Down syndrome. We care. So we're going to sell your information. <laughs> hey, look, an orange M&M. He's got anxiety. The blue one has depression. Uh, okay. Well, that means we're good people. That means we're good. We're going to work with the World Economic Forum. Uh, okay. What does the M&M have to do with anything? Well, look at it. Just look at it. Look at it. Look at it. Look at it. See it. See it. Look at it. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's disgusting. It's what they, this is what they do. Language. Body language. English. Hebrew. Hawaiian. Hawaiian. Whatever. Everything has deeper meaning. Everything has cultural significance. Merging it together and understanding it. And that includes understanding that some groups of people don't want to be merged together. You can't blame a group of Koreans or Chinese that come to America and run businesses and actually are good citizens who want to just be in their own group because that's what they know. You can't be upset at those people, but for some reason you can be upset at white people for likewise being like, yeah, we agree with those Koreans. We would like our own side of town. You can't disagree with that. What's, what's, what's insensitive is trying to force people together to create conflict and then suggesting that you also, this used to be a thing like you don't, I mean, <laughs> there's an episode of Seinfeld about it. Don't marry somebody who's different because that's, you know, that's culturally, you know, what do they call it? It's culturally insensitive. And then it's the other thing. If you don't marry somebody who is different, then you're also culturally. And it's like, what am I supposed to do? Oh, I realize now I'm just not supposed to marry anybody or have any kids because I'm white. That's what it means. That's what it means. I'm supposed to educate myself about colonialism. Guess what? I did educate myself about colonialism by one of the greatest black scholars, probably of all time. And he told me in his writings that it's actually colonialism that ended the institution of slavery. Huh. Arizona Central and the USA Today probably won't tell you that, though. It is the tower or the leaning tower of Babel, changing definitions, banning words, adding useless words, making barbaric behavior favorable over communication, preventing people from debating by making everything about fighting, restricting access to other languages, calling learning other languages or cultures insensitive or microaggressions, banning words, adding words, legislating that you have to say certain words. This is all the potentiality of man being reduced from a common understanding to what amounts to a threat to centralized power brokers on this very earthly plane. Not the plural gods in heaven, but on this earthly plane that want to cultivate Babel in their fellow men, mankind, all people, by the control of language. I mean, you want to study, study the control of language um, like man or men and mankind? Get a copy of my new book, Liberty Shrugged. I'll take you through the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and show you what those words really meant and what people were arguing. Oh, there's what they argue today. Mankind, that doesn't involve women. Really? So you're saying that since mankind, because it's man, mankind, woman, it doesn't involve women. That's very sexist because the word itself means men and women. That's the definition of it. So if you're saying women aren't part of mankind, you're saying they're not human. 
You're a disgusting pile of garbage. Liberty Shrugged is the book. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Monday through Friday. Listen to the show for free. We get paid for that on the apps. Subscribe to the show or buy a book. www.thesecretteachings.info Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy. We'll talk to you on the next broadcast.